Welcome back, everybody, to Big Dog's Porch. Come on back, grab a seat, let's get talking. So today, I wanted to talk about some, uh, you know, I've been kind of having this progression, but we're scratching that. What I actually want to talk about now, I told you that I didn't want to be one of these people talking politics, and I'm still not. But I am going to read a quote, a tweet from a political figure. And then I'm going to talk to you about it. So Robert Reich said, just a casual reminder that 60% of all wealth in America is inherited. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps is a sham. So, now, I wonder why they say that. And I'm not going to sit there and get into some big conspiracy theory or political theory, the nuances behind it on the political scale. What I will get to do is, is tell you... There have been several studies, look them up yourself, that show that generational wealth is not true. There are exceptions, okay? But it is not true. What happens generally is by the third or fourth generation away from the person who created the original wealth, the wealth is lost. Now, some of you are thinking like, well, still, that's three or four generations. But just think about this. You create wealth. Your children is the second generation. Your grand, your children, your children's children, your grandchildren is the third generation. So it could be your grandchildren or it could be your great-grandchildren that actually lose the wealth. And the reason is, is because your children see the work and the effort that you put in to get that wealth. But your grandchildren don't. And your great-grandchildren definitely don't. Now, like I said, there are exceptions, right? You got the Rothschilds. You got the Rockefellers. They've had generational wealths. The, J, the Morgan family from J.P. Morgan, they've had generational wealth for a while. But most generational wealth has been proven to be non-existent. There's a great book out there called Millionaire Next Door, and he's done several follow-up books, which I have not read. I read the original, but I have not read his other books on the same subject where he's given... I believe where he's given even further evidence and things. And I remember one of the worst rides I ever had Uber-wise was actually was a Lyft customer. And I was down in Atlanta. I picked her up Midtown. And up in Buckhead, there's this Mexican restaurant that stays open 24 hours. Mama something or another. I can't remember the name of it now. And uh, supposed to have some some really good 
late night taco, you know, and stuff. And it's always busy. <laughs> I mean, after, you know, the bars get out and it's got a drive through. So I picked her up midtown, took her to the drive through, took her back. And, and I, I made the statement that I'm a capitalist. Um, I believe in capitalism. Um, and she got offended. Literally, she said that, how can you believe in capitalism? You know, most wealth is inherited. And I was like, that's absolutely not true. And I told her about this book. Again, the book is called Millionaire Next Door. And um, so it's, and like I said, it talks about, I think you can get it on Amazon. Um, and like I said, he's he's done other books too. Uh, but he, um, you know, he talks about it, how a lot of times you don't even know, you don't even realize you know, it's the guy who sat there and started a business, whatever business it was, that made him a little bit of extra money over and above what his expenditures were. He lived modestly, right? Invested it. And then all of a sudden he's got this, you know, portfolio. But he just, he keeps on doing what he's doing because he loves doing it. Even though he doesn't need to anymore, right? He just loves it. Uh, you know, look, I have I have a neighbor who lives beside me. He's in a lawn care business. And um, he, he had several big contracts when he first moved in. Now, some big regional, even national companies came into the area and took over some of the government contracts that he had, which was thing. But... He's made up for it, and he's diversified. He's gone into other things and requires a little bit more effort and work. And, you know, and probably after the number of years he's done it, he's not, you know, he's maybe be looking, trying to scale back a little bit. But at the same time, he still does it. He gets up every morning. He goes, he goes and he does it. Doesn't complain about it. I don't, I, you know. I've talked to him about it, and he sits there and says, yeah, there's some rough times, but you don't ever hear him really just knock it. He likes what he's doing. He enjoys it. And, and I honestly and truthfully think that he is successful. Now, what, is, what does that mean? Do I think he's a millionaire? I, I don't know since, you know since I know that he lost when those big companies moved in and lost several of those contracts. But... But I know that, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's probably more secure and happy where he's at than a lot of us in the jobs that we have, right? But let's go back to the statement. 60% of all wealth is inherited. It's just how do people throw these numbers out without any any you know proof any backup any any it just it pisses me off because it's done and again i'm not going to get into political analyzation here okay but more along the dream crafting analyzation 
Why? Well, if they if they make you believe that pull yourself up by the bootstraps is a scam, is a sham, it's not true, that 60% of wealth is inherited, then guess what you think? You think that you can't do it. And if you think you can't do it, then what do you do? You don't do it. What's the reason? What's the purpose? Why should I sit there and struggle? Why should I sit there and, 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 and do these things when I have no shot? No chance of, of elevating myself. And it's just not true. They're lying to you. And you'll hear me say they a lot. It's the closest I come to a conspiracy theory. <laughs> they. I don't know who they are. I don't know if they, they really exist. But I, I do know, I do hear it. There is a concerted effort to tell everybody to go to college. Why? Well, college puts you in debt. So as soon as you come out of college, guess what you have to do? You have to go get that job. And maybe the job is not in the field that you really wanted to be in, the field that you went to college for. Maybe it's something else. I had a gentleman in my car a couple weeks ago. He was logistics. He said he didn't go to school for logistics. He went to school for, I, for, I forget now, political science, I think. But he ended up in logistics. Now, he actually was enjoying his position. He enjoyed it. But he didn't start that way, right? Probably got into the field, developed a taste for it, realized that it was pretty good, probably met up with some of his his natural gifts, right, of organization, of, of, of thought process and stuff like that. Um, you know, that could see the supply chain and, 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 and ways to, to enhance it, right? Sorry, I was, I was driving last night and talking with my customers as I always do. So I got a little bit of a dry mouth, so I'm, I'm just sipping on some tea. But it really upset me. I, and and it's stuck in my head because there is an attack on the wealthy. There is an attack on the wealthy. There's another great book. Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he actually talks about the thought process behind the creation of the income tax. And uh, you should go read the book. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You should read Millionaire Next Door. But the thing is, is that Robert Kiyosaki talks about that. See, and I agree with this, right? We have this fascination with Robin Hood. Now... 
the income tax was created before Disney's version of the Robin Hood with the cute fox and everything like that. But we have this mentality of Robin Hood, right? And, uh, and you know, they always say, take from the rich and give to the poor. Robin Hood syndrome. But if you actually watch the movie, and here we go. Again, remember I told you we would skirt politics but never really get into politics because I just I don't want to, right? But I think it's necessary here because of the simple fact of to understand the reasoning why. See, because I truly believe that we are facing a generation of automatons, right? Just droids, lemmings, sheep. <laughs> and led to the slaughter. But if you actually look at the story of Robin Hood, he didn't rob the rich. Because Maid Marian was from a wealthy family. Right? And he took to keep appearances up. But, you know, she willingly gave too because she willingly gave to the poor all the time. He took from a corrupt sheriff. The sheriff is who? Government. And he took from the people who supported that corrupt sheriff. And he gave back to the people. Because remember now, the sheriff kept raising the taxes. Raising the taxes to where the people couldn't pay the taxes. And then he threw them in prison because they couldn't pay their taxes. So he robbed from the corrupt sheriff and his supporters, and he gave back to the poor. But we have twisted and, and said that he just robs from the rich and gives to the poor so that we have this class warfare going on. How many of you, I'm sure a bunch of you, have heard the statement, I'd rather be poor and happy than rich and miserable? Oh, God, I've heard that so many times, and it sickens me. Because then I, I ask the people when they say that to me, I say, well, what about the other two options? And the people look at me and say, what other two options? Well, you could be poor and miserable, or you could be rich and happy. And then they always sit there and say, well, money doesn't buy you happiness. No, I wholeheartedly agree. But it puts a pretty good down payment on it. Now, I'm, I'm not somebody who's sitting out here saying that success is only defined by how much money you have. That's not what I'm saying. Success can be defined by a lot of things. I actually, one of the greatest definitions I heard of success came from a man named Dexter Yeager. He was affiliated with, with uh, Amway. He was a crown ambassador in the world of Amway. And I... I 
and a lot of people are going to right away dismiss him because they're going to think, well, you know, whatever. But he, he said one thing that has stuck with me these oh, from when I heard it was with early 90s. He said, success is the progressive realization of a worthwhile dream. Success is the progressive realization of a worthwhile dream. He didn't say it was the end point. The progressive realization means the journey, right? As you get from point A, from your starting point, wherever that is, to the, to the finish line. I mean, how can, how can he, Robert Reich say these things or anybody else say these things, uh, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps is a sham. I call bullshit on that. Because there's too many stories of people who've done exactly that. Gary V, you've heard me mention him. I'm going to mention him a lot. There, Gary V tells the story. His parents came over, immigrated over from Russia. They came over with barely anything. His dad started a, a wine liquor store in, I think it was New Jersey. Made his son start going to work there. When he was a teenager, he worked summer, blah, blah, blah. When he was 22, he went to work there. And he... Took his dad's business from $3 million to $60 million because of decisions that he made. And I'm just, go look up Gary Vee and listen to him tell the story, okay? Uh, he's an awesome guy. But he sits there and, and he says he left his dad's business with nothing. And... When I was listening to that, watching the, the video where he talks about that, in the comment section, this one dude says, that's not true. He sat there and he left with $150,000. And he invested it into Twitter or Facebook or whatever it was that then made him you know, wealthy. The thing was, is he took nothing from the business except what he was paid. And if you listen to Gary talk, he did nothing except work for those 10, 12 years, right? He did nothing but work. Worked all the time. He didn't go out. He didn't spend money. He just saved. So he saved $150,000. But this other guy is sitting there going, like, trying to call him out. I call bullshit on that. Dude, so you're telling me that he's not allowed to save money he works for? What he says that, and I, I'm not trying to put words into Gary V's mouth, but from when I sit there and say, hear him say he walked away with nothing, Means honestly and truthfully, if you take a company from three million to sixty million, there are some of us out there, me included, 
that would expect to walk away with a couple mil, if you know what I mean. I mean, I grew your business uh, 20, 20 times, I made it 20 times bigger. Dude, like, I should be compensated for something. 20 times more than 150,000. I mean, like, but this guy wants to sit there and, and say, act like Gary V is lying. Like Gary V, I mean, and it's people like that, right? That, that Gary V left and started Vayner Media, I think, right? Whatever, whatever, that, I just found Gary V about six months ago. So a writer told me about him. He told me about another guy too, Tim Ferriss. I, I really don't get in that much into Tim Ferriss. Um, but check him out. Uh, I, there was one episode I did like from him, but I really like Gary V. But anyways, um, um, so he started something from scratch, VaynerMedia. And however he did it, he got his seed money. By busting his ass and taking the business from worth three million to sixty million, now those were people who came over here with nothing, and through hard work and commitment and perseverance and persistence, they built something, right? you got people who sitting there saying that that's a sham pulling yourself up by the bootstraps is a sham i love the the statement uh morgan freeman was on the show cnn with don lemon it's actually a famous little clip you'll see floating around on youtube and um don lemon sits there and says something about the whole pull yourself up by bootstraps and uh, Morgan Freeman goes, bullshit. Anybody can do it. Because Don Lemon was trying to say, well, not everybody can do that. And he's a bullshit. Anybody can do it. Les Brown sits there, and, and not only Les Brown, Eric Thomas, a lot of the people, Zig Ziglar, they always say, this isn't for everybody. Anybody can do it, but it's not for everybody. Because if it was for everybody, it would be easy. I'm just so sick and tired of these people out here who are stealing people, other people's dreams. And a lot of times, they steal them before the person even has a chance to develop them. You know, it's in the, the dreams are in the infancy stages. They, they just see something, you know, like where I'm not supposed to be here. Wherever here is for you. I know where here is for me, and I know I'm not supposed to be here anymore. 
It's one of the reasons why two and a half years ago I quit my last full-time job and I swore I'd never call another man or woman my boss ever again. I even posted it up on Facebook. And my wife commented on it. She said, you want to bet? <laughs> my reply to her was, yes, ma'am. <laughs> That was my wife's little sense of humor. Some people might not have caught that when they first read the post, whatever I did. And it was funny. But she knew that all those years I worked for all those different people wasn't for me. Was never happy. That's where the whole depression started. And the depression sat there and came because choices that I, I made with what was given to me, the data that I had to make the choices, and the choices I made. When I truly wanted to be something of an entrepreneur, When I was in my 20s, I always saw myself being a CEO of a Fortune CEO. Did I say that right? Yeah, CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I just knew I could be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Without a doubt, I knew I could do it. Problem is, I'm 52 now. I've never really stayed with a job long enough. Because of, you know, issues that we've talked about, politics and all these other things. And not politics as in, like, the federal government type of politics. But, I mean, you know, corporate politics and all those things. And I just, I never stayed with a job long enough. And now I'm 52 and Fortune 500 companies don't know my name. And that's okay. Because... Like Garth Brooks, the song, The River, says, A dream is like a river, ever-changing as it flows. So the CEO part is now just running my own business, successful business. And I've done, like I said the other day, is I've written down what success means to me. Clear as a bell it is to me. I can sit there and, and dis describe you where, you know, the where I want to live. I can describe you the log cabin that I want to own out in either Wyoming, Montana, Colorado. I saw a great picture the other day covered in snow. The sky was so blue, so blue, a blue that... Honestly and truthfully, I haven't seen in a sky in a long, 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 long time. If ever. Because I've always lived in around cities, right? I can sit there and, and tell you, you know, the city that I want to live in. 
the city that I want to sit there and call my, my home port as I build this business in everything that, that, that I am doing. I can tell you where my retirement home is on the ocean front on the east coast so that I can see the sunrise every morning so that I can wake to the sunrise like there's and I've said I've I've shared this part of my dream with many riders more than a fall morning or a spring morning where it's still nice and nippy so you you know, you're going out there and, you know, you're, you're taking a blanket with you, right? You got a cup of coffee in one hand. Now, I'm not a coffee drinker. I love the smell of coffee. The coffee maker that I want to get, that I'm going to have, it's called a Royal Danish Coffee Maker, right? Look it up on YouTube. There's actually a video of it. It's pretty freaking cool. I love the way it works. And kind of fits in that whole steampunk thing that I, you know, I told you about that I'm, I'm kind of uh, digging that for a while now. But I love the smell of coffee. Not that big of a drinker. So the coffee's really for the smell. <laughs> Not so much drinking. But I go back on the back porch, sit. My house is maybe 50 yards away from the ocean front, right? Maybe 100. Eh, it's not 100. It's probably about 50 yards, about half a football field from the, my back porch to the water. Anyways, it's 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, just as the sun's starting to creep. You know, we're up above you and behind you, since we're looking east, is all dark. Like, dark, 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 dark. But on the horizon, it's starting to get a little bit lighter because the sun's starting to come up, Right. But it hasn't sit there and broke the horizon yet. You can hear the waves crashing on the beach. You can hear the seagulls squawking. They're always making noise. You can smell That's salt water over top of the coffee. You put the coffee down on the stand. Now, on your other hand, in my other hand, maybe not your other hand, but remember now, I'm retired, so don't judge me, is a glass of bourbon. About four or five years ago, I started drinking bourbon. And I like it, and I'm broadening my palate with different bourbons every every so often. I'm not a big drinker, so 
You know, I don't have a bunch of bottles on hand. I'm, I'm not drinking bourbon every night. I'd probably buy a bottle and it lasts me six months. Before I'll go buy a new bottle. And then I'll, I'll you know, try to try something else, you know. I've got some favorites. I love Eagles Rare, Angel's Envy, Blanton's, Woodford Reserve. Some people are not going to like this because they're like Jameson, but I love Bushmill. So it's an Irish whiskey, smooth. I'm not a big scotch drinker. Bourbon, whiskey. But I have that bourbon in my hand. Now I'm sipping that. So I'm giving that false sense of warmth. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you could drink the coffee to warm myself up. But no, I'm drinking the bourbon and giving my false sense of warmth. And I have a cigar. Now this isn't going to be every morning. Maybe it'll just be my Monday ritual, right? The morning time, the start of a new day, the sun rising up, sitting there and giving you hope. For all the opportunities that are afforded you in a new day. And it's the start of the week. So you got the whole week of opportunities to go, right? So the, the hope of the whole week. But I sit out there and my dream is always, it's nippy. So there's still a nip in the air, right? It's like you can almost... You know, you can see your breath just a little bit, you know. And then all of a sudden, that little sliver of the sun cracks the horizon. You see the sky all of a sudden turns orange like it's almost on fire. And then it's more than just a sliver. It's, you know, it's like a you know, quarter of the sun. And then it's half of the sun. And then as you're watching, the next thing you know, the it's the bottom little part still touching the horizon. And then in the next 10 minutes, it seems like it just jumps into the air. And that sun hits you and starts to warm you. Starts doing what the sun does. Starts cooking the air. And you're sitting there and just feeling the warmth of the sun on your face. Taking a puff of that cigar, a sip of that whiskey, bourbon, rye. And for those of you who love scotch, scotch. And you finish the cigar, you finish your glass of whiskey. Maybe it's 7, 8 o'clock. You do whatever else your morning ritual is. You know, maybe you fix breakfast. I, I love fixing breakfast. My, my wife does most of the cooking, but I love to cook breakfast. There's many different breakfasts that I like to cook. you cook maybe you cook breakfast for your from your wife 
your significant other. So then they wake up to food being ready. You sit down, you have a breakfast, and you go and you start your day, whatever that involves. And at that point, when I'm living in that house on the oceanfront, it's going to involve a whole lot of nothing. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I wake up and and my wife and I just drive from the oceanfront to the mountains in Virginia for a day trip. Maybe we drive up to D.C. or maybe we drive down to Charlotte, North Carolina. Because even though I've said that I don't want to be in Virginia anymore, that dream retirement home on the oceanfront is in Virginia. It's in Sandbridge. And, you know, and I, and that's where I see me spending the rest of my days and, 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 you know, once I'm at that point where I'm like, enough's enough. And for everybody else, that's different. But what is yours? Can you describe yours like I did? I mean, how many of y'all heard the ocean when I was talking about the waves crashing? You can see the white, you know, the foam that it creates running up the sand. And then the sand starts to dry just a little bit as the wave, before the next wave comes in. Never, never totally getting dry, but you can see it, right? You, you know how, what it looks like. Of course, it becomes even more apparent when the sun is out, right? Maybe it's a summer day. So you get done, you know, maybe you wake up and you go out there and you still got the cup of coffee to help you smell the coffee and wake up and maybe you don't have a bourbon because this morning since it's a summer day as soon as that sun's up you want to go jump in the water and maybe swim a little bit i love the ocean people ask me all the time so if you want to get out of virginia so much why ain't you left my blood is 75 percent salt water it's affected by the tides Now, look, I really don't want to assign any nefarious, underhanded conspiracy theory to Robert Reich. Maybe he truly believes that. But like I said, do your own research, right? Read Millionaire Next Door. Read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Look up those studies that sit there and show that generational wealth is just not as true as they want you to believe. They don't want you chasing your dream.
They want you chasing their dream. Or building their dream. I remember one time I was talking to a guy in my car and he was talking about these all the things that he was doing for his boss and all these things and I said, "Man, you're that's awesome." I said, "I I, I wish I had a company big enough that I could steal you away." <laughs> like legit. And he was like, "Why?" I said, "You're putting so much effort into his dream. What are you doing for your own?" I should have never said that to him. Because maybe that was his dream, right? Helping somebody build a business, taking it to the next level. Maybe that was his dream. And then here I come along. And I'm sitting there and trying to seed these, these doubts in his head. As far as like you're putting all this effort into somebody else's dream, but you're putting no effort into your own dream. How do you? How do I know that from the f- ten minutes of conversation that I had with the person? So I, I don't say stuff like that anymore. A lot of times, people, you know, I don't ever tell people who have a job that they need to get rid of the job to me j-o-b is the dirtiest word in the english language to me but to other people it's not and we need other people i mean like the 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 young boys and girls who dream of being a doctor right well most doctors work for a health group, right? Most doctors work for, uh, you know, a hospital group or um, maybe they're nurse. Most nurses work for hospitals. Maybe they want to sit there and be a police officer or, or a fireman or, or you know, or work for the FBI or maybe they want to sit there and be an engineer or, you know, a, a scientist or, or something that requires them to work for somebody else. So for everybody out here who keeps, you know, just trying to get get everybody to sit there and be an entrepreneur, not everybody is cut to be an entrepreneur. I, and I used to be one of those people, like, oh, you need to quit and do your own thing. No. Why can't somebody do their own thing within the confines of a job, they can, definitely can. That's why I said you need to define what success means to you. You need to write it down. You need to define your dreams, write it down, and then you need to sit there and and develop goals to achieve those dreams right and the goals have to be reasonable 
right? They can't be too easy. Maybe the first couple are easy, but the but the goals then need to cause you to stretch because you need to grow. You know, I've said this a lot of times, and I, I get a lot of clap back on this statement, but dreams affect affect change. You have to change in order to achieve your dreams. I remember a young lady sit there and says, but I don't want to change. Then you're never going to get your dreams. Why not? Because if you don't have to change to get your dreams, then you should already have them. And if you don't have them, that means there's something that you need to change in you to move on, to grow. We all have to pull ourselves up by the bootstrap at one time or another. We all will stumble. We will all fall. And we have to pull ourselves back up. Some of us will fall further than others. I know. I've fallen so far, people fall on top of me. <laughs> Just with my weight. I was doing so good with my weight a few years ago, and then, look, I put it all back on. For those who listen to the show, you know, uh, about the Star Wars thing, I can't even walk to a movie theater, right? Got the scale in, got on the scale. I was pleasantly surprised. I'm still not going to reveal the weight. That will come at the first of the year. But I was I was I was surprised if I do say so myself. And you know, and and I had a whole plan of what I wanted to talk about today, and then that tweet comes out and it just oh my god, it just got it was like a grain of sand in an oyster. And I decided to try to make a pearl out of it. And hopefully somebody's going to get a little pearl from this. And hopefully somebody will sit there and say, you know what? He's right. Forget these people who say I can't. Forget these people in these positions that people look up to that tell you something's not worth doing. Forget these people who have benefited from capitalism but are now trying to tell you that capitalism is evil. Oh, but you've already benefited from it. What's that guy, uh, Michael Moore, right, the director? He, You know, he talks about He did that movie about it, and I'm going like... <laughs> You know, it's so easy to 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 be up here at this this level of success that you have attained, and then try to tell other people that they shouldn't try for that same level of success as you. That there's something wrong for them pursuing their definition of success. Maybe it's not to be a famous director, but maybe it is to sit there and own the largest plumbing supply in New York or Michigan or own the best car dealership in Hampton, Virginia. 
or own the best lawn care company in Charlotte, North Carolina. Or running the best staffing agency in Charleston, South Carolina. Or having the best that everybody talks about. Shrimp and grits on the East Coast. There is a restaurant in South Carolina that has been known to have the best shrimp and grits on the East Coast. Now, I haven't eaten there yet, but I'm a fat man, so I'll make my way down there eventually. Even when I lose my weight, I will still go down there to taste their shrimp and grits. Have to. They, they called it the best. Remember, I said I want to travel. And even when I get to my healthy weight, there is still this fat man living on the inside that, I, that I'm going to put into a cage and, and control it. But every once in a while, I will feed the beast. And I'm going to hear about these best of so-and-so and best so-and-so. And up in Boston, which is another place I want to go, I've heard of this place that has the best cannolis in Boston. Oh, I want to go. And, you know, I will, I will go. And I will find, and I'll see if they're actually true. You got to ask yourself why people that are already successful tell you it's not worth it. Why people try to steal your dreams. I, you know, I used to tell all my writers, I hate when people sit there and say, there's two types of people. Having said that, there are two types of people. There are dream builders and dream stealers. And we all have the ability to be both. But honestly speaking, most of us are dream stealers. Now, I am not applying maleficent reasons to the dream stealing. A lot of times we think we're just doing something good, looking out for our friend or loved one. When we're, what we're actually doing stealing their dream. Les Brown sits there and says, they don't need to understand. There's going to be people who sit there and going to tell you it's not going to work. It's not for them. It's for you. When they tell you it's not going to work, don't listen to them. It's not for them. They won't understand. Don't argue with them. Don't try to explain. 
It's easier to pull a person down than it is to pull a person up. Because you got gravity, right? But most of us are dream stealers. Case in point, my oldest son, when he was 12 years old, played soccer. And he came and he told me, he said, Dad, I want to be a professional soccer player. And I was like, that's awesome, son. You can do it. You work hard and you can do it. That's great, right? Oh, yeah, well, that, that supported his dream. Well, the next day I came home. And was my son out in the backyard practicing kicking the ball, practicing ball handling skills? No, he was sitting in front of the TV watching SpongeBob. So I had the talk. You know the talk, all you fathers out there. You know how many kids want to be professional soccer players, professional football players, professional basketball players, professional baseball players, professional hockey players, professional curling players. I don't know. Whatever the sport is, gymnastics, volleyball, all those different sports. Do you know how many kids out there want the same thing you want? They're not sitting in front of the TV. They're out there working. They're out there doing the hard work. They're putting blood, sweat, and tears into it. You're not going to make it unless you sit there and bleed for it. Sweat for it. Cry for it. You know the talk, guys. Fathers. You know the talk. You think you're inspiring your kid. Or what could happen what happened with mine? He quit. Now, he didn't quit right away. He played for a couple more years, but he never really sat there and worked hard at it. As far as, you know, uh, putting forth you know, the effort that it really does take to become a professional. And as soon as he hit high school, he quit. He made the JV team in high school, and then he quit. And he went. He moved on and played volleyball. And he loved volleyball more than he loved soccer. Or I don't know if he loved it more, but he it was a different, and it, and it caught his attention, and he really, you know, he pursued that. Got a scholarship to college with that. So, you know, kudos to him. But now how about if I had sit there and said to him, you know, son, that's an awesome dream. You know, now this is, of course, is on the day when I came home and he's watching SpongeBob. You know, you have an awesome dream to play professional soccer. Can you see it, son? The year is 2024. You're part of the U.S. national team playing in the World Cup. 
and America is in the finals. And my son loved to play defender. And I said, and it's in the last 30 seconds of this of the game, stoppage time included, right? I mean, this is it. And the ball's down on the other end of the field. America is playing Portugal. And it's the last 30 seconds of the game, including stoppage time. And America's up two to one. And the ball is down in Portugal's end. But they get it to Cristiano Ronaldo. One of the greatest players to play the game. And he gets on a breakaway. And he's coming down on your end your side of the field as the defender. And as you're backpedaling, trying to sit there and cut off any angle that he has, you realize that he's coming to that point where Cristiano's got that foot where he can hit from 40 meters out, right? 40, 50 meters out, right? He can sit there and just kill it. And you look over, and it's you and the goalie, and the goalie is out of position. And you noticed in his eyes, in Cristiano's eyes, that he sees that. So he starts sizing up. Where is he going to take the shot? And he starts positioning his body to take that shot. And you make a decision. Now you can either keep falling back, trying to cut that, that 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 uh, that angle of attack of his down, or you can charge him, and you, because the goalie is so far out of position, decide to charge him. Now this decision can either win you. Or cause the game to be tied. And Ronaldo's not expecting you to charge him. He keeps expecting you to fall back. And that's going to give him his chance to hit one of his famous shots. So his eyes get a little bit big. And he stares and looks at you. And he makes eye contact. And in that moment, you know you got him. Now he starts his little foot shuffling and the step over and the crunch. He's trying to sit there and fake you out and all these little things. He's never really touching the ball, kind of a little nudge it. But when he finally makes, as you're charging him, you're, you're being defended. As he finally makes the move to get around you and commits, you finally commit. And you foot steal the ball. You don't slide, you just foot poke it, the ball off of his foot, you spin around, 
He dives like all European players do, trying to draw a supposed foul. But the ref is right there. You spin around, get control of the ball, clear the ball back deep into Portugal's end. Time runs out. USA wins the first World Cup. That would have been better. Because maybe it would have inspired my son to go out and practice foot poking. And the whole time he's going to be foot poking and trying to steal the ball, it's against Cristiano Ronaldo. And he's playing that scenario over and over and over. And then he's practicing clearing the ball. And he's just running that over and over in his head. See, we have that power that when somebody else shares their dream with us, to breathe life into it. To, to take it and, 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 and inject it with a little bit more detail than they might have at the time. I make the analogy like this, to shoot it up with some steroids and give it back to them. Now, I'm not telling kids to use steroids to do any sporting events, so don't get it twisted. I'm talking about taking their dream. And they give you their dream, and it's the size of a baseball. When you give it back to them, it's the size of a softball. Or if you're really good with words and painting the picture, maybe it's the size of a soccer ball, a basketball, a beach ball, a medicine ball, one of those big yoga balls that you lay on and do whatever it is. I'll be finding it out in the next year because I plan to get one and use one. Wouldn't have that been so much better than to give him the talk? You know, I, I laugh. I, and another thing that I've told a lot of my writers, you know, people, people always talk about the impending zombie apocalypse. It's already here. Follow me. So zombies in the movies do what? When there's no humans around, they just walk back and forth, right? They just meander to and fro, to and fro. What do you do? Home to work. Work to home. Home to work. Work to home. You got a rut. 
right? Your rut is so deep, your car knows how to go. Back out of the driveway, drive down to the end of the stop at the stop sign, turn right on the street, go down to the next crossover street, do a U-turn, come to the next major street, turn right on the next major street, drive down four and a half, five, five, f- four red lights, not four and a half, but four red lights, and you're at the interstate. Turn right onto the interstate. Head eastbound on the interstate. You're in a rut. Have you ever sit there and left work and next thing you know, you're in your driveway at home and you're going like, how the hell did I get here? You don't remember the drive, but you're at home. <laughs> like, dude, it's so automatic, right? You are a zombie. We all are zombies that are out here going back and forth to work, to home, to work, to home. Oh, it's Friday night. Go out to the bar. Home to work, to home, to home, to work, to home. Oh, a friend called. Let's go out to dinner. Home to work, to work, to home, home to work, right? That's all we do. We think we're living. And then, what does zombies do when there comes a live human around them? Brains. All of a sudden, they come to life, right? Oh, they can smell it. And they go, they go, and they try to catch the human so they can eat the human brains, right? So what happens... When you have a dream and you share it with everybody at your job, you think they want to hear that? You think they want to hear that that your dream is to, to, to not be doing what you're doing, but you want to open up a hair salon? Because you're really good at doing hair. Or you want to sit there and open up You know, you're a CPA, so you want to open up your own tax service for people, right? Do you think they want to hear that? No, they don't want to hear that. So what do they tell you? 95% of all businesses fail within the first year. Why did you need to know that? You're not like everybody else. I remember one time I shared a dream business that I had with somebody one time. And he sat there and he said, oh, I've seen people try that and it didn't work. Don't bother. Like, they're not me. That's what people do, right? You're either a dream stealer or you're a dream builder. When was the last time you told somebody to go for it? I was on a phone call one time with a person from Verizon. I don't remember what I called for. It was something going on with the the files, the computer, the internet, TV, whatever it was. Anyways, this guy that was talking to me was really cool, right? 
we got onto the subject and he was like, I really don't like what I'm doing. And I'm like, well, what do you, what do you want to do? He says, what I want to do is I want to sit there and own a gourmet donut shop in some city in North Carolina. And I was like, go for it. He was like, what? I was like, do it. What's holding you back? He said, well, everybody tells me I can't do it. Fuck them. Fuck them and forget them. Go do it. Do you love making donuts? He says, oh, God, yeah. He says, I make donuts every weekend. Go do it. I wish I remembered the town that he was going to because I would love to know if he actually did it. If he followed through and if he did it, I would love to know. Now, people sit there and are going to go like, well, dude, you shouldn't have told him to go off half cock. It's not my place to sit there and tell him, oh, well, you know, because just like when I told my son about the effort that it's going to take to become a professional soccer player, it discouraged him instead of encouraging him. I don't need to tell this guy all the health codes that he needs to look into, the legal permits. Oh, you need to create an LLC so that you you sit there and limit your liability and all these other things. That's all minutia bullshit. Everybody else was already telling them that shit. And yet he was still having that dream. So it was my job to tell him to go for it. And if you, if you are that gentleman and you listen to this podcast eventually and you have done it, you have got to hit me up so I can come down and have some of your donuts. You have enough people telling you. I love Steve Harvey talks about had this one customer one time not customer but a person in his when he did his talk show saying as a mother concerned she was like I, I want my daughter to have a plan b and he was like no plan b's are not any good he goes when you have a plan b you start to sit there and split your effort from plan a to plan b and pretty soon more of your efforts going into plan b instead of plan a so then plan a fails because you're not given plan a everything that you should be given it so then of course the person who told you to have a plan b feels vindicated and justified in telling you to have a plan b when actually they stole your dream from plan a see when when I, I learned from that. So when one of my kids now comes and says, Dad, I want to sit there and create warp drive because I watch Star Trek. I'm going to be like, what do we need to do? Because I'm down for that. <laughs> I'm down for that. Let's warp somewhere and meet an alien race. I don't care about all the physics that needs to be thought about. No. If you want to create warp drive, then you need to worry about the physics. It is solely my job to sit there and tell you to go for it. 
when your friends come to you and say, I want to do this, it's your job to say, go for it. I got you. When I get people finally telling me in the rides the things that they want to do, but they you can hear the doubt in their voice because so many people for so long have has filled their heads with doubt. I always end the ride and say, hey, one last thing before you get out. It's going to be rough. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. But when it gets to that point when it's really, really tough, just remember, there's one old Uber driver out here that believes in you and believes you can do it. I have faith in you. Just remember, everybody, whatever your dream is, I believe in you. I believe you can do it. Remember, I already went over the power of one man in a dream, right? I already talked about that. I believe you can be that next person. The power of your dream could sit there and change the world again. As Alexander Graham Bell did. As the guys who created the com internal combustion engine did. Or the steam engine before that. As Tesla and Edison did with electricity. As the guy who actually created the filament that Edison used in his light bulbs. As Henry Ford did, not by inventing the car, but by inventing the assembly line to create the car at such a rate that it could be affordable to the common person. As the Wright brothers who sit there and kept looking at the Da Vinci model of, of the, the wings and, and says, maybe we can fly. And, and for 16 seconds, they flew in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. That was in 1900 and some, right? And look at us now. In less than a century, we went from a bi-wing plane to jet engines. People sit there and talked about a four-minute mile running was never going to be broken. And then Roger Bannister did it for the first time in the, in the 1950s. And look at us now. I, I read somewhere the other day that, the, the, that one of the marathon guys ran the marathon in like two minutes. Two, not two minutes. Wow. <laughs> Woo. The flash is among us, right? <laughs> but, and he could actually run it faster than two minutes. But. Seriously though, in two hours and eight minutes or something like that, I, I don't, I don't even, I don't even know for sure. But I know it's close. Now people are actually talking about the chance, the possibility that 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 point where they said could never be broken a two-hour marathon. Now they're looking at it going like it just might be possible. Adam Smith, uh, 
uh, was an economist, and, and he basically he proffered why millionaires are necessary in, in a capitalist society. Because they give you a goal. They give you proof that it can be done. Just like every little kid when he's up playing baseball in his backyard or throwing a football by himself. He's the quarterback and he just threw the touchdown pass. And who does he imagine he's being? Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, right? Uh, what's his name? Deshaun Watson from Houston. Uh, uh, what's the guy? Lamar Jackson from from Baltimore. That dude is on fire. Patrick Mahomes from last year. Come on. Are you kidding me? Just a couple years ago, people were talking about when Peyton Manning died. Uh, not died. Well, damn, I am slipping up today. When he retired. That him and that when he, he's gone and, and Tom Brady goes and and then Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees are going to be close behind that that there's not going to be you know that great of a quarterback class out there anymore right dude you ain't got nothing to worry about but they were saying the same things when Joe Montana left and then look what Steve Young did broke damn near all of Joe Montana's records right in San Francisco right Steve Young did it. You know, they said the same thing with John Elway, when Brett Favre, like, ah, oh, who's the next great quarterback? The, or the next great, right? Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. You got some kid right now who's sitting there watching Russell Wilson, or Lamar Jackson, or Deshaun Watson, or Patrick Mahomes, or Aaron Rodgers, or Drew Brees. Or the guy from Philadelphia or the guy from L.A. I don't remember their names. And he's going like, I can do that. That can be me. You got some guy watching LeBron going like, that can be me. Right? You got some guy watching, you know... Bryce Harper or, uh, you know, uh, who's some of the other great baseball players right now. I really I really don't know. I, I've slipped on watching baseball that much. But and saying that could be me. These people set a benchmark, something for you to aspire to. Successful people, millionaires in a capitalist society, do the same thing in the business world that these professional successful athletes do in the thing. And the same thing that people like Adam Levine, uh, Gwen Stefani, uh, Garth Brooks, John Legend, 
Blake Shelton. Okay, I think I named just the whole voice cast. Christina Aguilera, right? They do the same thing. Like, I can sit there and sing like those guys. I have that gift. And if they can do it, then I can do it. And, and you pursue it just like they do. Or the Denzel Washington. How many people are watching Denzel Washington movies right now? Denzel talks about him watching Sidney Portier, right? Portier, right? Jamie Foxx, uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr., George Clooney. Look, I look at George Clooney and I see Cary Grant, who I think is one of the greatest actors of all time, Cary Grant. And I, I see Cary Grant because George Clooney can do a real serious drama, but he is perfect in that lighthearted little romantic kind of comedy, that little the little bit where, you know, I, I love the interplay between him and and um, Matt Damon and, and um, oh, God, what's his name? And, uh, uh, Pratt, no. Um, oh, my God, what's his name? Was married to Angelina Jolie. Uh, anyways, dude, I, I'm drawing a blank on his name. It from Ocean's Eleven. I love their little interactions with each other, whether it was written or whatever. But they just had the timing perfectly. And that was Cary Grant back in the day. How much you want to bet? And I don't know. Uh, if, if he has admitted this in interviews before, but how much you want to bet George Clooney maybe watched some Cary Grant and say, man, I can do that. I see myself. And I remember him from ER, serious drama, right? All these people, man, they keep doing it. Where'd they come from? Look at Morgan Freeman. Listen to where he, where he talks about, right? Where he ended up, right? Look what Denzel Washington talks about where he came from and where he ended up. Some of these athletes come from next to nothing. They had to grow up so quick because they had to chase their dream when everybody was telling them it's only one in a thousand, hundred thousand people make it. Because I bet you people were telling them that. Don't get your hopes up. Only one in a million make it. They sit there and they have that internal fortitude to say, yeah, I'm the one, bitch. Now get out of my way. Hey guys, I've I've gone kind of low long this this episode, but but this is something really, like I said, he just fucking pissed me off this weekend by saying that bullshit man and so i call him out on that bullshit 60 percent my ass most millionaires today in the united states are self-made they've created their wealth they didn't inherit their wealth don't ever believe that shit when people tell you that. Oh, 
they only tell you that so you stop chasing it. They're already in the 1%. They're already millionaires. They don't want you to join them. There I go down the rabbit hole of conspiracy, right? <laughs> but don't listen to that shit. Don't let the zombies eat your brains, right? You know what? I never finished that analogy real quick, like, right? So the zombies come to life when people, when human, with live human comes around with their brains. Same thing with the, somebody comes in and starts speaking about their dreams. They devour that person, right? Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. It's not worth it. Don't try it. I know people who've tried it. They didn't, they couldn't do it. doesn't fucking matter if they couldn't do it. They're not me. Les Brown sat there and said, your dream ain't for them. It's for you. Don't listen to them. Listen to you. And if and if your head and your heart and your inner person is screaming at you to go out and start doing somebody's hair in your own salon, then do it. To go and take that money that you have saved up and buy some lawn equipment and make some flyers and go out and start pursuing and building your lawn care business, then do it. To leave the firm that you're working for and go out and start your own firm and, and be your own private CPA, lawyer, doctor, whatever, then do it. Architecture, then do it. Engineer, then do it. And if somebody tells you and you're a young person and you've got this idea and you're thinking like, man, this idea can change the world and somebody tells you you get a plan B, tell them no. Hell no. Fuck no. I got a plan A. And I'm going to run plan A until plan A just falls apart at the seams and just implodes, explodes, does whatever before I get a new plan A. Anyways, guys, y'all coming back. Join me next time on Big Dog's Porch. Y'all have a great Monday. It's the first day of the week. Kick it off right. Chase your dreams. Dream big. Let's do this.